Welcome back to Brojo Online. Today I have a very special guest, Paul McCulloch from Melbourne in Australia. Now Paul is a relationship and emotional intelligence coach, but more importantly he is self-diagnosed as having Asperger's syndrome and being on the and being on the autistic spectrum. And what he's discovered is how to develop social skills and emotional intelligence and work with the strengths and weaknesses of being on the spectrum. The advice he has applies equally to people on the spectrum as it does to neurotypicals, that is, other people. And he has some incredible insights and advice for us today on how to socialize authentically and make real connections. So let's have a listen to what Paul has to say. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Let's start by uh, let's start by introducing you. I mean, I'm sort of familiar with you from the outside now, from watching your YouTube channel. I kind of binged on it a little bit there. But why don't we start with that? Tell tell us a little bit about what you're doing on YouTube and why you're doing it. Yeah. So about five years ago, I um, realized I had Asperger's, uh, which was a really big revelation for me, and. The key thing that I felt like I desperately wanted to tell the world at the time is that what's going on on the inside is completely different to what it looked on the outside. So um, with that realization, I suddenly saw all of my coping strategies and my confidence boosting strategies and all of these things that I was using to cope, I saw them I basically came face to face with my coping strategies and realized that they were masking strategies so that other people could not see how hard I had to try and, and all of the things that I, that I was struggling with. Um, so I started Asperger's from the inside to show people what Asperger's looked like on the inside, fairly literal. Right. <laughs> And so, so these days it, it's morphed into, so that was five years ago. I've come a long way since then. Um, and these days it's morphed into sharing the human side of autism with the world. Um, and I also share um, my own uh, tips on emotional intelligence um, and relationship coaching and all that kind of stuff that, I, that I've picked up over the last couple of years. Um, because at the time I was already on a big break. I'd already quit my job. I'd already realized that I wasn't coping in the, the neurotypical workplace as an engineer. Um, and I knew I wanted to follow my passion of emotional intelligence, which has been my special interest for, you know, since I was as early as I can remember. I can remember being in primary school and going to Melbourne University for some kind of, um, personality questionnaire thing where, where we learnt about different personality types and different thinking styles. It's always been something that's fascinated me. Um, so that links into autism really well because understanding that everybody is different helps to understand how I can be different too and helps to understand how I can relate to other people and, wh and where, that, where that gap was, I guess. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, this is from my own experience and in looking into Asperger's and, and the whole spectrum, especially when I did psychology degree back in the day, was I'm like, I, I can actually identify with every single thing that I'm reading. And that doesn't necessarily place me on the spectrum, but just how actually normal and human these experiences are. Just more, I think I heard you talk about it in a video once, how essentially being on the spectrum just means it happens more often all the time with a consistency yeah so an analogy is everyone gets sad sometimes mm -hmm. you don't have clinical depression right yeah however there's some real gold in there because everyone knows what it's like to feel sad everyone has felt sad so when i have sensitive issues uh with with, with sensory stuff people know what that's like um like an, an, an analogy that I often use is, you know, have you ever been sick in bed or have you ever woken up at 5am in the morning and there's been no coffee or something and you just, you're just not quite functioning at your peak. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and all of a sudden, you don't really like it when people are talking to you too much or there's too bright lights or maybe you're hungover or something. And you're just a little bit more sensitive than usual, not really feeling very nice. Um, we all know what that's like. So I am seeking to use my emotional intelligence training to bridge that empathy gap and help um, autistic people form relationships with the neurotypical population, which is a, um, a big thing, especially if we're talking about um, self-confidence, right? In, in my own journey, I felt like I was always behind the eight ball a little bit with that. Um, so helping people with that is a big thing and empathy is a big part of that, but also helping the neurotypical population understand that you can relate to behaviors that do seem strange. Um, and a big part of my relationship coaching at the moment is helping especially neurotypical women understand and connect with their partners who, who are on the spectrum. So um, it's not rocket science, it's just empathy, but it's also not, not common sense because if it was common sense, wouldn't people be teaching it? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, one of my closest friends, also my book editor, um, quite happily and boldly self-identifies as Asperger's. Um, and, and the formation of our relationship over the years was different to, I guess, what you call neurotypical, which is we had to constantly check in about what the rules were and the processes were so that we could communicate. And the funny thing about that was, is as we were doing it, I thought everybody should be doing this. This is great. This is such a better way to form a clear boundary and set of principles for communication that allows us to communicate very deeply. There's nothing about her being on the spectrum that limits our ability to connect with each other. It's just we're going to do it a slightly different way to usual and I would suggest a slightly better way, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is you seem to have you, you, what you call emotional intelligence. You seem to have tapped into the ability to help someone empathize to go this is what it feels like you know this uh which very it seems to be a natural maybe not natural but definitely a talent for you um tell us a little bit about how actually you know what let's let's go back to the start i really want to know how you found the confidence to start this youtube channel to actually put you out there for people to see and judge and understand Okay, so if we're talking about my confidence, my confidence story goes back to when I was 16. When I was 16, I did not have a single friend outside of school at the time. Um, I was good at school. I was really feeling like any kind of social friendship was, was, a, big, was a big challenge. Primary school wasn't too much of a problem because your parents organized your playdates, you know? Mm. <laughs> And, and I and I got by. It turns out I do really well one on one, but that was a that was a big thing at the time, probably for any sixteen year old. So curious um, turn of events. I ended up getting dreadlocks, um, which for me didn't really mean that much, but suddenly it meant a lot to the other people around me. Suddenly my appearance changed dramatically. All of a sudden, I was being invited to parties. All of a sudden, people were talking to me. All of a sudden, I had friends. All of a sudden, I was thrown in the deep end socially. And I just, I was in the deep end. You've got no choice but to swim with, or, or at least do your very best to try and survive in that situation. Um, and so it was as if that change in my external facade projected a confidence that I didn't have yet, which was mm -hmm. completely by accident at the time but um i learned i basically was trying to run run after this confidence shields that was in front of me um and sort of keep up with it so so that was where i i built my confidence um and about the same time key point in my confidence journey i found a youth group at the time and they were very focused on everybody is a part of this group it was the first inclusive fully accepting community I've ever been a part of. And all of a sudden I had friends. All of a sudden I had people who I didn't need to impress and I didn't need to pretend around in, in a sense. Um, so I've been a little bit lucky. I feel like I was really lucky in that sense. I kind of 
my analogy is I like I jumped on the very last carriage of the train as it was leaving the station mm. uh, socially because I had those social connections at the time I could then start to learn the other skills um, one of the big mistakes that a lot of people on the spectrum make and maybe a lot of people make is we follow the rules we follow the social rules and we accept when other people tell us we're doing it wrong now to an extent you do need to follow the rules and you need to understand the rules but what i realized is i put myself at the bottom of the pecking order if anybody told me off for anything oh you shouldn't do that i said oh oops sorry i didn't know right and how am i ever going to get off the bottom rung there if i think that everyone is right except me um so what confidence taught me is that you actually don't need to be right you just need to say well this is what i'm doing and then it actually helps with relationships because then other people knew what to expect from me and they could choose and act accordingly whereas if i was constantly moving and changing and doing what everyone everyone else wanted me to do i wasn't stable enough to form a relationship um so ironically confidence and being strong in who you are helps significantly with a relationship because then the other person knows who they're having a relationship with and without that it's it's kind of impossible did was that even remotely what you asked oh well it's it's definitely uh my cup of tea this is the kind of stuff i love to talk about the most um ultimately the connections between honesty and confidence you know, you're talking now about the difference between trying to do it right by the subjective fluctuating standards of every other individual versus being shameless, being this is who I am and let's let's work with that. Um, yeah, so, so I guess that wasn't the whole story because at the time I was using a facade. I was using a projection of confidence that was working and it was going really well, but it wasn't really me it was a version of me that i found worked and i stuck with it so when i found out that i was on the spectrum and i started realizing all of these things um, and i started realizing how much i rely on this external facade to deflect attention away from me onto this thing that is socially acceptable i realized i needed to cut them off and I'd, I'd, I'd worn them for 15 years right so that was a big thing right I my entire adult life I had lived this identity of the man with dreadlocks mm. so the question was well who am I without this mask right that was a that was a huge question um, so I started a YouTube channel and built up to it and raised some money and shaved my head on camera um, which is not for the um, vulnerability squeamish, um, as Brene Brown says. <laughs> right. Now this is yeah, this is where you and I I think resonate the most. Um, the analogy you gave before is you created a shield of confidence and you're chasing after it, you know. And I I felt like that all the way into my mid twenties. I created I called it the funny guy. You're the dreadlock guy. I was the funny guy, and I was just like running behind this thing hoping that like it didn't get so far ahead of me that people could see around it and see who was behind it. That was, I dreaded that until like you, I got to the point where I'm like, I don't even know who's behind it anymore. Uh, I am the funny guy. That's all I've got. I don't like that. Now it's really, I mean, it's hard for anybody to hear people say you're doing it wrong and go, no, I'm going to keep doing it this way anyway. For somebody who's felt their whole life, like, they aren't plugged into the social rules and understanding they need to get that feedback from someone else. It's got to be at least doubly hard. Let's talk a bit about that process. I mean, we, we got the point where you, you got to cutting off your dreadlocks. How did you get to the point where you decided you were going to back yourself and go with what you thought was right over what the feedback, the counter feedback you're getting from others? yeah good question i think the reason that people in general or, or myself specifically 
go with what other people say is because we're not sure of ourselves and we're not sure what's going to happen. And we desperately want, you know, love and acceptance and inclusion and belonging, right? Is my, the four things. Mm -hmm. um, so because we desperately want that, we're going to try to do what we think is the best thing to do to achieve that. So with that in mind, what helped me the most was having this special interest in emotional intelligence and learning about what actually builds connection and, and what destroys connection and how emotions work and what can I expect of another person. And in a sense, by learning those rules, I was able to say, I've got a better solution, actually. I could keep this facade up. Some people do that their whole life. It works for some people. But actually, I can think of a better way to do this. Um, ironically, uh, and I think I saw, I watched something that you did on this, you know, the advice, just be yourself. Right? Mm -hmm. nice. um, I've got a video that basically says, just be yourself is the worst advice you could possibly give an autistic person for this reason. We started off in that state. We started off just being ourselves and it did not work. It did not go well at all. We were not accepted. We were not understood. We did not build relationships and connection and acceptance and belonging or any of that stuff. And so then we, we went to the opposite extreme of, okay, well, that didn't work. What do I do now? I'd better, I'd better try and fit in. And those two options, just being yourself, raw, unfiltered, not caring about anybody else, not thinking about the consequences, is a sure way to distance yourself and, and break those emotional connections. And similarly, pretending to be someone else and doing what everyone else thinks you should do is you've broken the connection. You might have a connection with someone else, but you don't have a connection with the mask. The mask isn't you. So you feel just as alone and the more accepted your mask becomes, the more alone you feel because you feel like if you took the mask off, no one would accept you. Um, so the middle ground is around creating a, a, um, an authentic version of yourself that actually works in the real life, in, in the real world, that actually can relate to other people. Um, anyway, some, something like that. So short answer is that um, by understanding how emotions worked, I could then start to have more control as to what I did and when I did it. Um, for example, if you do not say hello, someone says hello and you don't say hello back, that has social consequences. Um, what if you're really tired and you don't feel like saying hello? <laughs> How do you deal with that situation? Um, what if what if I just don't want anyone to talk to me and people keep talking to me? How do I deal with that situation by being true to myself and not being rude to the other person? And how do I make that communication? How do I communicate to the other person what's actually happening so that we understand each other and we build a relationship without just pretending to be someone else? Um, so the, the knowledge of how emotions work uh, and the knowledge of how relationships are built gives me the power, I suppose, to make good choices in that situation. And sometimes you just have to take a hit. Sometimes you just have to say, I know that person's calling me, but I'm too tired to answer it. I know they're probably going to be a little bit annoyed that I didn't go to that party, or I know whatever the social consequence is, but bad luck. Can't do it right now. Yeah, I, I often attribute my own uh, development out of the hole, as I call it, uh, was, was curiosity and education. I wanted to know more about why I was this way and why people are this way. And it sounds like you had a similar kind of inbuilt curiosity yourself. You just always wanted to understand that stuff more and eventually got to the point where you could see, hey, the more I understand this, the more I realize maybe other people are doing it wrong. Um, that's huge. That's a huge awareness to, to build. Well, in my case, it was more of a survival strategy. I mean, I've, I've got stories from kindergarten of trying to figure out how to play with the other kids 
not doing a very good job, but giving my best effort into trying to figure out what was going on and how to, how to interact with them. So it was vitally important that I figured this stuff out and I did not do a very good job for a long time until that accidental confidence break where I was thrown in the deep end and all of a sudden, you know, I, I couldn't just think about it in theory. I had to actually go out and practice it and learn by trial and error. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's actually a valuable lesson in and of itself. A lot of people sit back thinking about how to make this work without realizing you kind of got to get your hands dirty to even figure out what's really going to happen, uh, which is, of course, terrifying for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, analysis paralysis is a phrase that you can mm -hmm. use for it. You can think about it as much as you want, but it doesn't actually get you any closer to a practical solution. And I had no way of getting feedback if any of my ideas or theories as to what would have happened or could have happened were even remotely accurate. Um, and it also, people don't realize this or what don't always realize this, but emotional intelligence is a skill, is a set of skills. And the only way to build um, competency in a skill is to practice it, uh, right? You can't learn the violin by reading a book. You have to actually practice playing. Reading a book helps, getting lessons helps, but unless you actually practice it every day, you're not gonna you're not gonna improve. There's a couple of key points for us to dig into. One is actually how you build up the courage to go and do that practice. I mean you're kind of dragged in by your dreadlocks in a sense. Um other people are gonna have to try and throw themselves in. Uh I wanna come back to that, but I guess one thing that's it's not even a question I have, just something I want feedback on. One of my dilemmas is I have a number of, of good friends who identify as being on the spectrum and the thing I love about them is they're honest and it's they bring a blunt kind of honesty that few people um, could even try to do and they can't even help it and yeah. I prefer it but I I had to be I had to figure my own crap out before I could handle that kind of honesty and learn to appreciate it and that's I guess one of the tragedies for me with people who are on the spectrum as they tend to have this honesty that gets them into trouble. But I personally think it's the outside world that's got it wrong, not the honest people. I think if the outside world could handle that honesty, I mean, it's so much better for forming a friendship to know exactly what they're thinking and feeling. You're absolutely right in every respect, especially the part where the outside world cannot handle that honesty. Yeah, cannot handle that directness, has so many of their own issues that if you try and communicate directly and say, hey, what's up? They, they like freak out and start talking about the weather. Mm. I mean, I find it frustrating, but I've gotten to the point now where I'm happy for a lot of people to not like me if they don't like me being honest. It took me a long time to get there, though. For most of my life, I was obsessed with being liked. Was was that a big deal for you, or was it more just about belonging and fitting in? Um, I never really cared if people liked me all that much. Um, that wasn't such a big thing. I was much more concerned with the practical aspect. The, I'm completely alone if I don't have friends. I don't have anything to do if I don't have friends. I can't talk to anyone. I can't, like... I, having friends is not an optional extra. Um, getting along with people in the world is not an optional extra. When it becomes an op optional extra, you get the adult um, on the spectrum who can't hold down a job or a relationship, and that's not a good place to be. You need a job. You need relationships. <laughs> um, not an optional extra. So... That's it. I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> that's fine. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. For me, the actual, the other people thinking I'm a good person and liking me and feeling pleasure about me was definitely the primary goal. Um, that's a very neurotypical thing to be driven by. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and being practical is probably a very spectrum thing to be, to be driven by, I guess. Um, so one of the ways I sometimes explain the autism spectrum is we just 
don't feel the need to do what everyone else is doing um, and find it really difficult to understand why that's a bad thing and why mm. other people think less of us now suddenly for some reason. Like, why? What's, what's the big deal? You, everyone else was doing that and I did this. What's the problem? Whereas the neurotypical population is more like everyone's doing out, everyone else is doing this. I'd better follow so that I can fit in and, and, and make friends and, and I'm not the odd one out. Um, and so when you don't have that drive to just do what everyone else is doing, you end up being the odd one out a lot. This is the tragedy for me because the more I become immersed in, in the world of um, the autism spectrum, and, and to be fair, I've worked with people, like I used to work in forensic mental health, and I've worked with the most extreme end of that spectrum and uh, the, the non-functioning, you might say. And I yeah. understand the, the the struggle there, um, but what I see is, you know, what what you would say is the, the the struggles of the neurotypical. They actually, I mean, for a start, they're not really genuine. The the reason we follow is because we want to fit in, not because we actually want to do those things. And it, sometimes it's lemmings running off the cliff. And I, I remember feeling that way, especially when I was in my teens, and I used to get into trouble taking drugs and partying and, and getting into fights or whatever, I remember so often sitting there going, I don't want to be here. I don't like this, but absolutely compelled to do it, like uh, drawn beyond my strength um, to do it. And that's why I think over the years I've come to view being on the spectrum as a special kind of freedom from that slavery of just desperately trying to conform to the norm. Yeah, so usually people, usually the neurotypical population could stand to be significantly, to learn a, a significant amount from the autistic population. And at the same time, the autistic population can stand to learn a significant amount about how to deal with things and how to build relationships from the neurotypical population. Um, because no matter where you are on any given spectrum, if you're at one extreme, you could probably stand to be somewhere closer to the middle because you know, it doesn't matter which end of the extreme you're on, you have, this, you have similar, similar problems. Um, maybe you express your anger too much. Maybe you repress your anger too much, right? See what I mean? Um, so where I had a point that I really wanted to share and now it is gonna come back to me if I, keep talking to myself okay the the point point about being direct um, and the communication thing because of that because we like to be more direct as you mentioned we can form much strong we have the potential to form much stronger uh, relationships um, and because i have learned emotional intelligence and done all this self-improvement stuff so focused with such a, a focused attitude and so diligently, I am miles ahead of most of the population who just hasn't given it a second thought. So if everyone could follow their instincts and just get along fine, uh, like in primary school, for example, I was well behind the curve in primary school. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and everyone else was just following their instincts and doing okay. Now as an adult, I've had to get better but everyone else is still following their instincts mm. and kind of doing okay. Not, they're not doing amazing. They're not doing terrible. They're just kind of get along, getting along and doing okay. So that's why my passion is for emotional intelligence and teaching the world about emotions, not just autistic people about emotions, because when we understand how it works, it just gives us the power to choose how to use it, choose how to build relationships, choose which boundaries we want to enforce, choose what things we just want to let go of and not care about. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's a huge amount of potential there. And because we're not taught this stuff in schools, most people in society just rely on their instincts um, for emotional intelligence and empathy and all of these other skills. Whereas, if if we do teach them, right, this is the sort of more advanced part of my journey when 
once I, once I realized how emotions worked, I could focus my practice instead of just random trial and error, which is what most people use and works sort of, I could focus my practice and actually get better at the things that I wanted to get better at. Um, and there's a huge potential for the, the, for the neurotypical population. Um, and actually one of the challenges is that you need better emotional intelligence skills if you're on the spectrum. To survive, you need better emotional intelligence skills. And then once you develop them, you spend the rest of your life in a population that doesn't have those skills for the most part. Wishing they did because it would be so much easier if the person you're talking to knew how to listen or the person you're talking to knew how to empathize and you didn't have to educate everyone. But such is life. All we can really focus on is ourselves um, and there's a huge amount of benefit for just focusing on that self-improvement first. Well, this is, this is precisely why I was excited to talk to you. And, and in a second, I want to hear a lot more about your thoughts on what emotional intelligence is and how to build it. Because um, I get this picture of, say, a neurotypical and someone on a spectrum as being in different rooms, and each room is full of resources, and we could be sharing those resources and kind of get the best of both worlds. And we each suffer from lacking the resources that are in the other room. And, you know, I, I see that so much, I sort of my own life, which is that instinct got me through high school. And then I got into my twenties and it wasn't just didn't serve me as well. And it started to get worse and worse. And now I'm getting really lonely and distant. I thought this thing's kind of run out of steam, you know, and that was what created the crisis. And I see, I mean, you and I both know from the work we do, there are so many people who need help with their relationships and their connections, even if they're so called normal. Uh, because their instincts don't serve them anymore. Their instincts are now counterproductive. And I think that's, yeah, that's why I just, I'm so fascinated by this field. Um, you know, it took me, I don't know, 27 years to figure out how healthy being honest is. I mean, why did that take me so long? I'm supposed to be neurotypical, right? I'm supposed to know this stuff, but I don't. And like, nobody does, it seems. So let's, let's get really into your field of expertise now. You know, we've seen the backstory that built up to it. I, I call it the slingshot effect. If you're held back by something yeah. that worked really hard, you end up getting shot in front of everybody. Um, let's start with maybe imagining that, that the listener has no idea what emotional intelligence even is and start mm -hmm. from the beginning. What's your definition of that too? Um, so the definition I, I use that is, I didn't create, um, is emotional intelligence is your ability to recognize and manage your own emotions and recognize and manage the emotions of others, essentially. So the reason I like that definition, uh, which is from a, a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Um, is because it re it's a really structured kind of four-quadrant definition where it shows us that different types of skills that are involved. So we've got the skills that are learning how to recognize how I'm feeling. That's really important. But it's not the whole thing because once I recognize how I'm feeling, I need to be able to manage how I'm feeling and regulate my own emotions. But that's not the whole story because I need to be able to recognize how other people are feeling. And then once I recognize how they're feeling, I need to be able to manage their emotions. If someone is coming at me really angry, how do I calm them down? If someone is sad, how do I cheer them up? Or how do I not cheer them up and realize that maybe they just want to be, make me to sit with them without cheering them up? Um, so it, it really shows a progression there. Um, and, and those skill sets. So emotional intelligence is a skill set around recognizing emotions and knowing how to regulate them in yourself and others. Good, that's very clear. And you can imagine now, you know, you can imagine that that is the, the core of so many skills. So all of relationship management, dealing with conflict, communication, self-improvement, um, motivation, all of these things are founded in an ability 
to know your emotions, know about emotions and how they work and how to regulate them. Yeah, I could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll definitely try and get specific. Um, but, you know, you, I remember when I was watching Breaking Bad a little while ago, and there's a bit where he's in the classroom and he talks about life is chemistry. And, and that just popped into my mind right now because emotions are chemistry and they determine our entire life. But essentially life is emotions. If you're not uh, on top of them, then you're not on top of life. Um, and absolutely that was my experience too. You know, I was very much a repressor of emotion. I basically had calm and stress and that's the only things I could mm -hmm. identify. Everything remotely painful went into the stress category. So I didn't know the difference between angry and sad or, or sort of frustrated and confused. I couldn't, because I didn't know those differences, I didn't know how to react. Mm -hmm. Let's start there, because I actually have some things I might debate you about in the second part, which is managing other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. But let's start where we definitely um, see eye to eye. Recognizing and managing your own emotions. Obviously, we can't go into the full detail of, of that process, and this way coaching is required and necessary for this kind of work. But what are the principles and the kind of general things people need to know about identifying and managing their own emotions? Okay, real, really simply, um, you need to know that emotions are in your body and you actually feel emotions. It's not just something that's in your head. Um, and then the second part, I've actually created um, an emotional intelligence, sorry, not emotion, I've, uh, an emotional feedback flowchart to show the interconnection of we are triggered all the time. If I see something, I'm going to think something and I'm going to feel something and then I'm going to remember something. And, you know, we're all familiar with the phrase, a train of thought, right? Your mind is always working. Your emotions are always working. And unless you're conscious of it, well, you don't, you're not conscious of it. It's just going by itself. And it has a lot of power um, when it goes by itself. So um, the first step in emotional intelligence is that self-awareness, which comes from stopping and noticing and naming your emotions. Um, so mindfulness is a, is, a, is a strategy that people are probably aware of, um, but that's a, a good entry point to that. It doesn't work for everyone, but it, it's a good place to start and try and see what happens. Um, and, then, and then after that, we can start noticing the patterns in our behavior. What causes me to feel happy? What causes me to feel sad? What causes me to remember stressful things? And start worrying about what's going to happen in the future. So, um, without going into detail of exactly how it works, we can start to teach ourselves by just stopping and noticing what's going on within ourselves. That's actually really huge. I mean, I, I used to be able to be stressed all day before I even realized it. You know, it was kind of just this noise in the background, basically deciding everything for me. Uh, you know, you made an interesting point about emotions being in the body. As simplistic as that sounds, I think a lot of people don't get that. You ask how mm. they feel and they say, I feel like you're not really listening to me. I'm like, yeah. it's, it's not a feeling. And even I make that mistake still to this day. Um, I can't describe the physical sensation. And because I don't, then I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about thoughts, which aren't the same as emotions. Why is, it, why is it so important, do you think, for people to really realize their physicality of emotion? Um, emotions are really simple. They are so simple and primitive that you can form an emotional connection with a dog or a cat. Mm. Right? We even have therapy dogs that pick up on anxiety and pick up on and, and help you with loneliness. Right? Emotions are really simple. And when we learn how to master them, we have all of the, we have, access to this huge kit bag of, of, of tips and tricks and management strategies. If we try to figure out what someone else is thinking or what we're thinking or go deep in the psychology, you can get lost in psychology forever and never come out. If you start in the, in the overanalyzing loop of, I wonder what this other person is thinking, 
you can get lost in that forever and never have any practical outcome. So instead, it's actually really straight, comparatively straightforward to figure out how someone's feeling. And that is much more practical piece of information that you can actually, um, actually use um, for, for whatever you're doing. I sincerely hope people listening just realize how significant that point you just made is that is essentially at the heart of all connections. At the heart of my journey was going from why did you do that? What were you thinking to realizing that was the wrong question? Why did you do that? What were you feeling is a better question. Because if you ask someone what they were thinking, they, they can't tell you. Why did you throw that chair? What were you thinking? Wow. I was thinking that they'll they'll tell you an irrelevant thought because it wasn't what they were thinking that caused them to throw throw the chair across the room. It was the the feeling of anger and frustration that caused them to throw the chair across the room. I just had a flashback. Very, very powerful stuff. Yeah. I had a flashback to being a kid. Every time I got in trouble, my parents would be like, what were you thinking? I'm like, I really don't know. (laughs) That uh, It wasn't relevant to why this happened. We kind of lose sight of that as we grow up. And wow, that's really incredible. I have to think more about that because that just sort of snapped something in my brain uh, in a good way. That's a very important point for autistic people because we ask people, why did you do that? And they give us the wrong answer. They tell us what they were thinking and why they think they did it, but that's actually not the reason. The reason is the underlying emotion. And therefore, the neurotypical population is leading us astray by telling us the wrong thing about the, their motivation. They think their motivation is, is what their, their conscious mind is saying, but very often that's not the biggest motivation. So true. I mean, even getting down to the level of, of scientific study, the latest in neuroscience research has clearly come to the conclusion that thoughts happen after the act, not before it. We explain ourselves to ourselves, but actually the driver was something else. Very common, yeah. So understanding what you're feeling, stop and think, and obviously you know that sort of mindful approach or various variations of mindfulness to get in touch with that. What about the management side of things? You know, let's say we're talking to the person, you used a great example before, the person who doesn't express anger at all, or overly expresses it, you know, from sitting and brooding through to violence. And obviously the healthy is somewhere in the middle. What are some of your thoughts around the principles of that management process once you've identified the emotion? Um, so emotions need to be expressed. If we hold them in, they eventually burst. So that whole question is a, how do I healthily express my emotions? Um, it's as, it's as simple as that. If I can find a healthy outlet for my emotions, I feel great. Healthy emo- outlet for my anger, I feel great. I did Taekwondo at university. It was great. Kick stuff as hard as you can. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, actually, that was my next question. I wanted to hear from you. What, what were some of the strategies you developed? To- you know, what were some of the examples of healthy expression that you found for yourself? There, there's so many. Um, sport, music, talking to people, venting, writing. There's hundreds and hundreds of examples that, that um, everyone probably knows for themselves and need. You, everyone needs to find their own what works for them. But there are there's lots of really good advice of, of things to, to try. Um, and I've just listed a couple of them. Sport, music, writing, venting. That's a huge arsenal of um, strategies right there. Well, this, there's one in particular I want to I get past you. I mean, those ones, I like the idea, you know, with sport and art, it's kind of a physical embodiment of how you feel and you can take it out. Uh, one of the things that I found most helpful is, you mentioned before, like naming the emotion or naming it out loud learning to say, I am angry, I am sad, uh, I'm feeling upset. Not go any further 
than that, but just to actually put it out there that it's happening in case it wasn't already obvious with my body language. And a lot of times it wasn't, I developed a poker face around emotions. But that was quite a terrifying experience for me to start doing that. I remember literally shaking with fear the first time I told people at work that I was a bit stressed, you know, just the idea of being seen as weak and all that stuff. Um, what are your thoughts around developing the courage to express emotion? Um, so usually courage is highly related to fear of what's going to happen. So I would suggest if you're struggling with courage, work on your own fear, work out your own fear. What am I actually afraid of? Um, and um, I think there's, there's an example uh, of, of a technique I heard from Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, the, the, the strategy, and I don't know if this was his or he borrowed it from someone else, highly likely the second one, but you, you write out the worst case scenario of what could possibly happen and then what you would do in that situation. And it's all about just grounding your fears in reality. Um, it's normal to feel afraid. It's great to feel afraid. It keeps us honest about what we're doing. <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, it's like a growing edge, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting way to frame it, the growing edge. So often, especially in self-development, it's framed as the enemy. Uh, and there's a lot of shame attached to it. If you notice, if I notice that I... I'm having a strong emotional reaction to something. I'm like, oh, wow, gold mine. Why did I get so angry just then? Why am I so afraid of this? Why do I want to go and hide? This is amazing. Look at all the things I can learn right now. <laughs> if I go and reflect and figure out what's actually going on inside me, what am I thinking is going to happen? What am I reacting to? Um, it's a gold mine of, of self-improvement, those, those growing edges. But yeah, I think you and I have been on a very similar journey. You know, I used to be so, so repulsed by emotion, mine or others. I just felt it you know, really disgusting, I guess. Um, and then you fast forward 10 years and I'm like, oh, I actually felt something. That's interesting, you know, especially after so many years of not really feeling. Um, and like we talked about, if you're not feeling, you're not really alive in a sense. It's, there's a detachment from life when you're not allowing yourself to feel. And part of learning emotional intelligence is practicing and learning how to be comfortable holding emotions. Um, that's, that's a skill um, that, that you need to learn. So if you don't have that skill, you can't, well, you can, you can, but it doesn't help to beat yourself up that you don't have the skill because you haven't practiced it yet. If you would like to learn the skill, then you can, it's possible. You just need to be taught or practice, be taught and practice. There's kind of two, two, two arms of, of, of learning emotional intelligence. Exactly. And we're going to get into that in a minute because that's obviously your forte. And I really want people to hear a bit more about how it is that they can learn this thing that everyone told them they just had to know for themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like socializing. Um, but I want to, I want to check in with you something because there's something that maybe we don't see eye to eye on could be interesting to discuss which is managing other people's emotions and i think it all comes down to what we mean by the word manage um so let's start with with definitions when it, when it comes to managing someone else's emotion what do you mean by that everything that i do has an effect on the people around me if we start with that the next logical conclusion is that everything I do affects the emotions of the people around me, which means I have the power to cheer someone up. I have the power to lift the energy of the room. I have the power to dampen the energy of the room. I have the power to upset someone. I have the power to hurt someone. If I have that power, how do I use that power? How do I, what do I want to use that power for? What is, what, how do I use my ability to affect the emotions of the people that I interact with 
in a positive way that's going to build our relationship rather than a negative way that's going to destroy our relationship. Very, very simple. I mean, I've simplified. Sure. Is what I meant. Well, it's obviously not as simple, um, as simple as I made it out to be. No, well, I mean, we may even need to have an entirely separate discussion about this sometime because it's a fascinating area for me. Uh, as I, as I woke up to the fact that in my attempt to be socially acceptable, I was very manipulative. Um, I came to realize I was repulsed by that. I didn't want to be manipulative. But as the further I explored it, I realized it's actually poss impossible to not be manipulative, whether you're trying to or not, you affect people. So you have to start deciding what kind of manipulation or power, use of power. Yeah. That, that, word, that word manipulation is really triggering for a lot of people. But my example is you want to manipulate someone, say hello and hold out your hand. Right. They'll say hello and shake your hand back. You just manipulated them into, you know, it's, it's all part of, of interacting with a person. Let's, let's use the example that I think got me the most, which is cheering someone up if they're sad. And you actually mentioned, oh, maybe you just leave them to be sad and put an arm around them. And, you know, there's this, obviously there's a decision to be made here. They're sad, so what am I going to do about it with this power I have? How do you make that decision? How do you how do you know when it's right to cheer them up and when it's right to leave them alone or whatever the other options are? Good question. Um, that's really going to be up to the social situation at the time. Um, however, we do not have ultimate power over someone else's emotions. So usually we have a nudging effect on another person's emotions. We can slowly nudge up the energy of a room. We can slowly cheer up somebody. If someone is really upset, probably the worst thing you can do is to try and cheer them up. A lot of the time. Just like when someone is really angry, probably the worst thing you can do is to tell them to calm down, right? Or mellow out or something, right? Because it's, it's so opposite. It's like, uh, my analogy is like an elephant running towards you and you're like, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just stop it. It's, there's too much emotional energy for us to tackle it head on. Instead, what we can do is kind of nudge it a little bit in, in a healthy direction. So you have the ability to nudge other people's emotions and it's your choice, essentially, how you do that. Um, and that is a very big question uh, <laughs> around how you should use that power. I think I'm not sure I would be able to answer that question succinctly because it involves my whole philosophy around understanding what emotions are and how they're healthily expressed and what it means to be a healthy human being. Um, but in general, if there is a healthy expression of an emotion, it's a good idea. Healthy, socially appropriate expression of emotion is usually a good idea. So if someone is crying because they're sad and it's okay to cry because you're sad, great. Do that until that emotion has been processed and then say, oh, great, I feel better. And then you do something else. Um, a strategy that I, that I talk about in the emotional intelligence course, is called the emotional judo throw mm -hmm. um, with, the, with the analogy of if there's like a sumo wrestler coming at you, you're not going to tackle it head on. You, you have to use their power. You have to direct the emotional energy in a healthy way that's not going to hurt anyone. If someone is really angry and about to like throw a chair across the room or smash something, you can say, why don't you go outside and scream for a bit? Or why don't you, you know, especially with children, right? this is one of the biggest challenges for parents is how do you help your children regulate their emotions and teach them to regulate their own emotions in a healthy way, right? Go into your room, scream, curse, I don't care, come out when you feel a little bit better, something like that, you know, uh, uh, whatever is 
the least damaging, most healthy expression at the time. Yeah, it's a big topic and we, we may go into that another time. Um, and I think what I'm, what I'm hearing or sort of uh, intimating from what you're saying is it's really about why you're doing it. You know, um, I remember one of the things I realized for myself was it wasn't that affecting people or influencing them was a bad thing in and of itself. It was why I was doing it. I was doing it for my own gains. I was doing it to get something from them, to use them, not to help them have a healthy experience. You know, I'd be quite, back then, I'd be quite happy for them to have an unhealthy experience if it was in my best interest. Um, it sounds like your your constant focus, like your work, no doubt, is on that service of other people. Let's all have a healthy emotional experience, and I can I can nudge you in that direction. Um, but as you say, if they don't want to go, they, you can't make them go. Um, yeah. There's always that autonomy of control they have. Let's let's park that for now because I feel like if we go down there, there's going to be at least another hour or perhaps a week of conversation. Um, but I'm really I'm really interested in your philosophy around that let's talk about you and what you do um obviously we've heard a lot of hints as to how it is you help people um so tell us a bit more specifically about that work that you do and, and how it is that you help people with this stuff yeah so essentially i'm an emotional intelligence trainer and relationship coach um i started a business called emotions explained and the purpose of that is to explain emotions. I like to be really literal in no nonsense, really straightforward ways. Because when I was growing up, I was asking all of these questions. How does this work? Why should I do this? And no one could give me an answer. There are answers. There are really, really, really good answers to social questions why do we do small talk why do we do this why is it a good idea to let someone cry all of these answers and i just needed someone to explain it to me in a log straightforward logical way that would make sense to me and unfortunately number one most people had no clue they just acted on their own instinct and had no idea why they succeeded or not they would say things like I would say things like, what do I need to do? I'm like, oh, just be yourself, right? Or what do I need to do? Oh, oh nothing. Just go in and wing it. You'll be fine. It's not going to work. <laughs> I've tried that before. It doesn't work. What do I actually do? How do I start a conversation? How do I manage this conflict? This person is shouting at me. This relationship is breaking down. This, you know, I can't manage my own emotions. My own emotions are becoming a problem for me. What do I do? And you need really specific understanding of what's going on so that you can find an effective solution because especially right and so because i found out i was on the spectrum um, i i especially work with um, other uh, autistic and neurodivergent um, people because we especially i mean the rest of the population too but we especially need individualized solutions general advice works most of the time for most people mostly well if you're in the one percent of people that it just does not work for at all you end up feeling like you're the problem and you're broken and i'm not good at this and i suck at social skills and i don't deserve a relationship and who could possibly love me and all of these kind of things and that's just not true the problem is you were not taught how to do these things you were taught how to read and write and how to count and multiply and all that kind of stuff in school you weren't just expected to know it or expected to pick it up emotional intelligence is the skill that kind of unlocks life unlocks all of these um, situations all of a sudden i can have the confidence to ask for a pay rise i can have the confidence to enforce a boundary i can have the confidence to tell my partner there's something I'm not happy with and work through it and end up with a stronger relationship in the end. But we're just not taught it at school. So that's, that's my, my mission is to teach emotional intelligence and empower everyone else with, with the skills and knowledge that I had to learn the hard way 
um, I was I felt like I was bashing my head against the brick wall, making very 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 little process for decades. And if I hadn't made that leap into the next little area where I was practicing and then learning about um, how to do it uh, in a focused way, I'd probably still be in that spot. So don't do it the hard way. <laughs> we know about this stuff and it should be taught in every school. Um, uh, and so my contribution to that is a um, four-week emotional intelligence course online um, that is self-paced. It's got um, 12 comprehensive lessons taking you through those four quadrants of emotional intelligence, starting with self-awareness, the emotional feedback flow chart um, of how our own emotions work and, and how to regulate our own emotions, and then how to build empathy, um, how to understand the emotions of others, because through body language and through our verbal and nonverbal language, that's something we're not taught. We're just expected to pick up. Uh, and then finally, bringing all that together into managing relationships, building trust, um, managing conflict, that emotional judo throw I talked about. Um, yeah, that, that'll do. Is that, did you, yeah. what was that again? Yeah. No, that's, um, look, I think you said it best when you said this is the stuff that should be taught in school. I think that's what you and I have most in common is, we want to bring something that was severely lacking um, where it shouldn't have been, where it needs to be the most. You know, how many childhoods have been missed out on because of this yeah. lack of education, because of this assumption that you'll just know, especially from people who don't even know themselves. And the, the crippling thing is that we believe it's our fault and it cripples our self-confidence, going back to self-confidence. So just the knowledge that it's not your fault and you can do better and there is an answer out there, that's that's hugely empowering. Yeah, I've seen that a lot when people just get that optimism like, oh, I haven't got to the end of this journey yet, like there's other stuff. Uh, how do you prefer people get in touch with you if they want to work with you more or explore your work? Um, so visit emotionsexplained.com.au uh, is probably a good way. I also have a blog called Asperger's from the Inside um, on YouTube. Um, there's uh, quite a lot of emotional intelligence videos on that, um, as well as other relationship stuff um, around understanding autism. So that's probably the, the easiest way. Um, there's a, a contact form on, on the website, um, and I'm also running a, a free webinar on how to learn emotional intelligence um, coming up in July. Um, and every six months or so, um, the, those who have signed up for the um, self-guided emotional intelligence course, we all get together online and all go through the material together. So um, anyone who gets in before that date of the, of the 13th of July will be able to participate in that um, this time. So, so that's uh, something coming up that people might be interested in. And if you're watching this after that, then there'll be another one. <laughs> catch yeah yeah well, well we'll publish this soon so people will have a shot at getting into that um yeah and i'll, I'll include for anyone who's watching or listening i'll include the links down the bottom in the notes you can find all of all stuff there awesome paul I, I could talk to you for so long and i think uh we're going to have to get back in touch in the near future maybe unpack that management um philosophical debate whatever it is uh, that's waiting for us there. But I want to thank you so much, not just for coming on the show, but for the work you're doing. You know, I'm in touch with literally thousands of people who need the help that you're providing. And I'm not just talking about people on the spectrum. This is a, if anything, like I said, there's almost an advantage with being on the spectrum is that socializing sucks so much that you have to do something about it. Whereas, for, as you say, neurotypicals can kind of coast by with this fraudulent act and they can do that for decades without feeling enough pain to do anything about it and yet suffering the whole time. There's nothing you've spoken yeah, about, about that doesn't apply to everybody. You know? About 50% of the people who, who, do, who take the course are on the spectrum. Um, so it's a very diverse mix. It's not just an autistic mix, it's a very diverse mix. And especially when we get together online, you really see that. Uh, which is 
refreshing to see all these different perspectives. I've got to share one experience I had as, as a coach was my first client who identified as being Asperger's. And I'd worked with people like that before in my previous job. There was nothing sort of um, shocking or anything there. But I had the assumption, the judgment really, that helping him develop his social skills would be more difficult than working with my other clients. And he was the first of many to show me the opposite was true. This guy followed instructions. We designed the instructions. He followed them boldly, far more boldly, with far less argument than I'd get from other clients. And as a result, he was able to develop rich and meaningful social life, deep connections, deeper than many of the other people I know personally and professionally. And that was my first wake-up call. Actually, this isn't a weakness. It's a misdirected strength. Once they know how to use it, that slingshot effect, you know. A lot of people I work with have feel like they've tried everything, but it is there are strengths in there as well. And when we play to those strengths, as you said, you get that slingshot effect and all of a sudden you can have incredible results if you actually use your autistic strengths rather than seeing them as, as a weakness. Um, but obviously you need to find a solution that plays to your autistic strengths rather than just um, trying to follow generic advice, which you've probably already done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, and I have to acknowledge, you know, that kind of real world fact that it would be lovely if we lived in a paradise where everyone accepted direct honesty, but we don't. And if you want to survive in this world, you have to find that middle survival ground where you get to be yourself, but it follows principles that are least likely to result in a terrible reaction. Um, Paul, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with us and your personal experience being open and honest with us. Um, strength i'm sure and uh yeah i really look forward to sharing your work around and keeping you know i'm subscribed to your channel myself i'll watch at least a couple of videos a week probably uh, getting into it so thank you thank you so much for coming on no worries thanks for the invite